1944, just before the D-Day invasion, General Patton addressed his troops. I'm going to clean this up a little bit because this is a family show. General Patton said, quote, we're not going to just shoot the sons of lady dogs. We're going to rip out their living GD guts and use them to grease the treads of our tanks. We're going to murder those lousy Hun blank suckers by the bushel effing basket. War is a bloody killing business. You've got to spill their blood or they will spill yours. Rip them up the belly. Shoot them in the guts. When shells are hitting all around you and you wipe the dirt off your face and realize that instead of dirt, it's the blood and guts of what was once your best friend beside you, you'll know what to do. That's how the military used to talk. Yesterday, the Marine Corps and the Air Force tweeted out pictures of rainbows and wished everyone a happy Pride Month. The Marines declared their commitment to, quote, fostering an environment free from discrimination and treating, quote, all equally with dignity and respect. Now, nice as all that sounds, that is not the job of the U.S. military. The U.S. military is not an HR department at some millennial tech startup. The job of the military is to kill our enemies. At least, it was. For years, the military held out as one of the last institutions to resist leftist takeover. Those days appear to be finished. Today, the radical leftists who run our armed forces whine about white rage. They give patriotic servicemen the boot for not taking the Fauci ouchie. They cram the rhetoric of diversity, equity, and inclusion down the throats of the brave men and women who volunteer to serve and kill the bad guys. The radicals who have taken control of our military don't really care so much about winning wars abroad. They're much more interested in winning the ideological war at home. And in that war, as far as the radicals are concerned, the enemy is us. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment yesterday is from JJ who says, can you imagine being the father of a son who is a complete stud at women's swimming? How proud he must be when all his friends are bragging about their kids. It's probably a little bit awkward at the meet. You're talking to the other parents. You say, yeah, my daughter totally, <laughs> she showed all your daughters, didn't she? She, she totally did a great job, right? Uh, probably, probably not. When you want to reach people with whatever sort of message you've got, you've got to check out Constant Contact. Right now, go to constantcontact.com. I love Constant Contact. I've used these guys since I was about 20, no, not even, I'm sorry, 19. I think it was the first time I used Constant Contact on a campaign. It's such a great tool for communication, for digital marketing, for small businesses, for campaigns, for nonprofits. I've used them for years. They've got email marketing, contact management, industry-leading list growth tools, social media ads, and more. Constant Contact helps small businesses connect with customers, find new ones, and sell online, all from one easy-to-use platform. They've been trusted by millions of businesses to help improve their marketing. They've got a 97% deliverability rate. You can rest assured that your customers and potential customers are getting the right message at the right time. They've got a simple interface. They've got easy-to-use platform that makes contact management easier than ever. List growth tools, generation landing pages, text to join. These guys are just so great. To start your free digital marketing trial today, head on over to constantcontact.com. The left has become militant. This is true 
in the U.S. military where the woke leadership of the Pentagon is pushing this stuff. This is true throughout corporate America. This is true throughout the government. This is true on our, our own website. Uh, last night, we premiered Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? Taking on the Transgender Agenda. And this was, this was a direct shot at the cultural left on the first day of Pride Month. And we knew it was going to be the biggest subscription event of the year. This was the biggest, most ambitious, expensive movie we've put out there. Matt flew to freaking Africa to find the answer to this question, what is a woman? And some people who signed up to watch it may have found that they had some trouble, at least for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. We we took a look at what was going on. Why is the site down? Why isn't this working? We've now confirmed The Daily Wire came under a sustained and significant DDoS attack. So there was some group, some individual or some group or some group of groups uh, targeted the Daily Wire website uh, with a very sophisticated attack because they didn't want you to see the premiere of what is a woman because they're so afraid of this one question that deflates the entire transgender ideology. People don't want you to see this movie, okay? They want to silence us. They want to shut us down. And it's too bad for them because this was the largest premiere event we've ever had in the history of the Daily Wire. We got lots and lots of new members, more new members than on any single day ever in the history of this company. And if you want to watch it, if you want to become one of those members, go to whatisawoman.com. We really need you to support this. You can, you can see it now when we talk about the military, the corporations, especially finance. The Daily Wire is a pretty big company. Started out in Jeremy's pool house. Now we've got lots and lots of employees and a lot of money coming in and lots of projects being pushed out. We have not taken money from private equity, from any of the ways that you can raise money. We, we have not taken money yet because very often when you raise money in that way, it, it comes with a lot of strings. You've got to kowtow to certain woke rules, to the ESG rules, environmental, social, and governance policies. You lose your soul as a company when you take that kind of money. So we have always relied on our listeners. And you guys have been so great and subscribed and supported it. And so that's how we can produce this content. We need more of you to do that. If you want us to keep producing this kind of content that gets the libs so upset that they target us with DDoS attacks, if you want to keep keep this kind of content coming at the moment that it matters, right at the start of Pride Month when we're going to be living in just one giant rainbow for the next 29 days, you've got to subscribe. So you can go to whatisawoman.com right now. You will get 25% off a new membership. Thank you for doing that. For the next 28, 29 days, things are going to get super duper gay. Really, really gay. Okay. And you saw it in the military. That was bad enough. Kind of ironic too, that the military is promoting diversity. That great speech I read from George Patton up there at the top. He has a whole section of that speech where he says, I don't want any of this individualism crap. Okay. You're in the military. You just, you do what everyone else is doing and you shoot and you kill the enemy and you follow orders. Diversity has no place in the military. When, when servicemen suit up and they're getting ready for battle, do they put on diverses? Do they, do they button up all of their diverses and then go out there to fight? No, they put on their uniforms because diversity is not what you want in a military. You want absolute uniformity. I'm not saying uniformity of race or uniformity, but you want uniformity. 
at a deep level. You want everyone to be doing the same thing. And you don't want people expressing their weird sexual desires or appetites. That has no place in the military. If you have something eccentric or unusual or distracting from the mission, repress it. Keep it to yourself. It's not about you. It's about the country and protecting the country and killing the enemies. That's what the military used to be about. But not even the military is immune these days from all this wokeness. Certainly corporate America is not immune. We saw this yesterday with Starbucks. Starbucks announced, quote, when we are recognized and accepted for who we are, our communities are stronger for it. During Pride Month, we join our LGBTQIA2 plus partners. There's a two. What does the two stand for? I don't know. Partners, employees in supporting trans equality who advocate for the acceptance and understanding of transgender people. So Starbucks coming out as extremely gay. We knew Starbucks was very, very gay ever since they premiered the sous vide egg bites. That I think was the, the proof positive. And they're very delicious egg bites. So there you have it. As Starbucks and every other corporation in America, just about is going to be embracing the rainbow. You're seeing this at the level of the government. Joe Biden yesterday tweeted out, quote, during Pride Month, we honor the resilience of LGBTQI plus people. So no A, no two, very discriminatory from Biden. Uh, these people who are fighting to live authentically and freely, we reaffirm that LGBTQI plus rights are human rights. And we recommit to delivering protections, safe, safety, and equality so everyone can realize the full promise of America. It's an important point here because you're going to hear this phrase a lot, LGBTQ rights. There is no such thing as LGBTQ rights. It's a phrase that people will use just like they invent all sorts of rights these days, but there is no right to that. I'm not saying that people who have some sexual confusion or an unusual sexual identity don't have any rights. They have certain rights, but there is no such thing as LGBTQ. TQI rights. Just because you say something is a right doesn't mean that it is. <laughs> rights are actually grounded in reality if rights are to have any meaning at all. Let's just take the T because it's the clearest example. A man does not have a right to pretend that he's a woman. That's actually wrong of him to do. He, <laughs> he does, if, if, if the source of our rights is just our making a claim for them, then there's no end to that. But of course, there are no such rights. The Biden administration, the left, is trying to invent civil rights to that. But it doesn't exist. It's not, it's not right at all. And this is not just about inclusion and being very nice and being very accepting. This is very, very aggressive. We, we just saw yesterday, and, and this wouldn't be the first time we've seen this, the United States government flying a pride flag at the Vatican, at the Holy See. It says, quote, today is the start of Pride Month. The United States respects and promotes the equality and human dignity of all people, including the LGBTQIA plus community. Hashtag Pride Month, hashtag all inclusive, hashtag Pride 2022. The libs are going to play this off and say, look, this is just a positive affirmation of our view of sexuality and pride. But it's not positive because they don't do this in Muslim countries. They don't do this in Saudi Arabia. They don't do this in places where they... <laughs> where they think it's going to result in a, a bombing or a suicide attack. 
This is not about affirming LGBT. This is about attacking Christianity. This is about attacking the traditions in the West. If it weren't, they'd be flying these flags in Saudi Arabia and throughout the Muslim world. But they're not because it's not, it's not about the rainbow. It's not about LGBT. It's about saying F you to tradition, to our traditional understanding of how to behave. In this country, in the month of June, we have three months. We have Pride Month. That's the most prominent one. We have the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. That's the traditional Catholic understanding of June. And we have National Dairy Month. Since 1937, June has been National Dairy Month. Okay. 23% of America is Catholic, at least. If you, if you look at just identification with a Catholic family, it's actually much higher than that closer to about 50%. But people who say, I am Catholic, 23%. And yet the corporations do not promote the month of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Pretty much every American eats dairy. Very few Americans are lactose intolerant. So lots of Americans eat cheese, drink milk, eat yogurt. The corporations do not pander to National Dairy Month. At the highest possible percentage, according to Gallup last year, 7.1% of Americans identify as LGBT. So why all the rainbows? This is no slight on people who have unusual sexual identities. But why? We're talking about a very distinct minority here. Why does the rainbow have to cover everything? Why? Because LGBT is effectively the established church of our national government. It is, LGBT is a moral system. It's a system that makes moral claims about human identity, about sexuality, about how we should behave, about what the family is, about our relationship to one another. And it's disproportionately supported by our elites. It's not nearly as supported by ordinary American people. This is why things like the redefinition of marriage, when they were put up to votes, would fail. It would fail even in California. But then the elites who are running our government from Washington, D.C. in a more oligarchic fashion, they were always pushing this stuff. So that's why. It's effectively an established church, and you don't have the right to oppose it. And you you can see that it's an established church because now they're posing it in direct contrast to Christianity. They're flying it over the Vatican. What are you going to do about it, Vatican? We know you oppose this. We would never do this to another religion in another sort of country. But to Christianity, we do because... because of the aggressiveness of this political movement. Furthermore, I'm not the first person to come up with this idea, but, but a number of people have said it in recent years. The rainbow flag, in some ways, doesn't have very much to do with sex. It does in that sex is very important to human nature, but it represents much more than sex now. It represents the flag of the American empire. It represents the flag of the universal values of liberation and individuality that America is spreading throughout the world. Whereas the red, white, and blue, the stars and stripes, represents the flag of the American nation. The rainbow flag represents the flag of the American empire. If you took a poll right now of conservatives and libs, and you said, which flag do you identify more with? The stars and stripes or the rainbow flag? Obviously, the conservatives would say the stars and stripes. What do you think the libs would say? I bet you a huge proportion of the libs, maybe the majority of libs, 
would say, oh, I identify much more with the rainbow flag. The stars and stripes, that's awful. That stands for oppression. That stands for slavery. That stands for Jim Crow. But the rainbow flag, that stands for freedom and equality and liberation, liberation from all the bonds, not just the bonds of history, not just the bonds of tradition, not just the bonds of family, but the bonds of human nature itself. That's what they're doing. And so they're going to celebrate this all month. This represents the, the libs, the, the logical or illogical conclusion of the libs campaign for total liberation. Now, after this, once they liberate us from biological sex, then they're just going to have to liberate us from the physical world entirely, plug our brain stems into the computer, and then, then we'll all be living in the matrix. They're already trying to do that, but, but we're, we're still probably a few years off. So we, we should count our blessings for right now. Speaking of celebrations, speaking of counting one's blessings, really great news for Johnny Depp. The trial that has dominated America for the past few weeks, the defamation case, from Johnny Depp against his ex-wife, Amber Heard, who accused Johnny of beating her. The verdict finally came out yesterday. As to the statement appearing in the online op-ed entitled, Amber Heard, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change. In the Washington Post online edition, quote, I spoke up against sexual violence and faced our culture's wrath. That has to change. End quote. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven all the elements of defamation? Answer, yes. Has Mr. Depp proven by a greater weight of the evidence that question, the statement was made or published by Ms. Heard? Answer, yes. The sta- question, the statement was about Mr. Depp? Answer, yes. Question, the statement was false? Answer, yes. Question, the statement has a defamatory implication about Mr. Depp. Answer, yes. Question, the the defamatory implication was designed and intended by Ms. Heard. Answer, yes. Question, due to circumstances surrounding the publication of the statement, it conveyed a defamatory implication to someone who saw it other than Mr. Depp. Answer, yes. Do you find that Mr. Depp has proven by clear and convincing evidence that Ms. Heard acted with actual malice? Answer, yes. Boom. Total victory. Judgment for Johnny Depp for $15 million. He, he lost on one much lesser charge in the countersuit from Amber Heard. Uh, so I think he lost on a $2 million judgment there, but he won on the $15 million judgment. So this is just total vindication for Johnny Depp. Why do I care? I don't particularly care about Johnny Depp. I don't, I certainly don't care about Amber Heard. It is important though. One, I care because our Daily Wire makeup artist has been absolutely obsessed with this case. And so I feel like I'm just very invested in it through osmosis, because in the makeup room, I've I've heard a lot of this case. But two, because this represents the death of the Me Too movement. This represents the death of Time's Up and believe all women. No, you shouldn't believe all women because some women are liars. Women, just like men, can lie. They can say things that aren't true. And in some cases, women are stone cold sociopaths as it would appear this lady is here, just got caught in egregious lies, caught on tape, admitting to lies and threatening to destroy this guy's career. So a total vindication 
for Johnny Depp and an end of the Me Too movement. This all stemmed from a 2018 op-ed that the sloppy editors at the Washington Post allowed Amber Heard to run. So because of the extremely low journalistic standards at the Washington Post, Amber Heard is now bankrupt. This is the most expensive op-ed in the history of journalism. And that op-ed was a big part of the Me Too movement as it was on the rise. Now that's all over. Amber Heard issued a statement. She said, the disappointment I feel today is beyond words. I'm heartbroken that the mountain of evidence still was not enough to stand up to the disproportionate power, influence, and sway of my ex-husband. What are you talking about, lady? All of the influence, all of the political power was on your side. We've just come out of a, of a movement where the ubiquitous call around the country was believe all women, no matter how flimsy their claims, no matter how little evidence they had. All of the evidence in this case was on the side of Johnny Depp, including you in your own words, admitting certain things. Your closest confidants contradicting what you were saying. Video evidence contradicting the claims that you were making. And even then, the, the only reason that Johnny Depp won this case is, is because we had that video, is because we had that audio. Still, there was so much power and influence on your side. So she says, this is a step back for women. This is so terrible. And then she says, I believe Johnny's attorneys succeeded in getting the jury to overlook the key issue of freedom of speech and ignore evidence that was so conclusive that we won in the UK. Okay, this is great. This is the key part here. She says, I'm sadder still then losing the case, that I seem to have lost a right I thought I had as an American to speak freely and openly. She's saying that the fact that she's not allowed to defame Johnny Depp means that freedom of speech is dead in America. I'm so glad she brought this up because maybe she thinks this sincerely. It seems like kind of a cynical take to me, but maybe she sincerely thinks that and she should be corrected. There is no freedom of speech to defamation. You don't, freedom of speech doesn't mean you can just say whatever you want. I wrote a book about this called Speechless, Controlling Words, Controlling Minds, which is coming out in paperback this month. You know, tomorrow is the mailbag day. It's my favorite time of the week. You can submit not only your text mailbag questions, but your voice mailbag questions. And you can only do that if you are a Daily Wire member. Yet another reason to become a Daily Wire member. So if you wouldn't mind, please keep the voicemail to under 60 seconds. Sometimes people want to tell me their whole life story. We don't have time for that on the show. We got to get to a lot of questions. So head on over right now to dailywire.com slash Knowles, or use the promo code Knowles for 10% off and become a member and send those voice mailbags in. We'll be right back with a lot more. Amber Heard claiming that her loss in a defamation case is the death knell for free speech is really rich, first of all, because the libs in this country have been attacking the legitimate tradition of free speech in America for years now. But also, there's never been a right to defamation. It, she reminds me of, of the dad on South Park, of Randy on South Park, where he's acting drunken and belligerent. He's finally arrested. And he says, oh, I thought this was America. Well, I thought, what happened to freedom? I thought this was America here. What, you mean I can't? No, you can't act belligerently and, and out of order. There are limits to what you can say and do. There's no free speech protection to fraud. There's no free speech protection to, to fighting words. There's no free speech protection to obscenity for that matter. It, it ties right in with the whole theme of Pride Month, which is we have the freedom to do whatever we want. That's not freedom. We have the right to do whatever we want. That's not what a right is. In the words of Edmund Burke, 
People do not have the right to do things that are not reasonable and not to their benefit. You do not have the right to cut off a healthy arm just because you have some fantasy about wanting to be crippled. You do not have the right, as far as I'm concerned, to cut off other healthy body parts just because you have a sexual problem or confusion and a sick, cruel society is encouraging that delusion in you. You don't have any right to that. That's actually very, very wrong. Rights are reasonable things. Rights are in accord with reality and logic and reason and what is beneficial to you and what leads to human flourishing. Do you know how hard it is to win a defamation case in America? It's very, very hard. We have robust speech protections here. And still, the evidence was so clear here that Heard was living in a fantasy world. Well, it's not just Amber Heard living in that fantasy world, defining her own truth, her own reality. It's everybody in this country these days. This goes back to Planned Parenthood v. Casey, to one of the worst Supreme Court decisions in American history, where the romantic poet of the court, Anthony Kennedy, said that people, at at the heart of liberty, lies the right to define our own concept of existence of the mystery of human life. There is no right to define your concept of existence. There is an obligation to live in accord with reality. That's an obligation. If we're all just defining our own concept of existence, society is going to break down instantly because we can't communicate with one another because our misbegotten notions of rights and entitlements are going to come into conflict with one another. The legitimate right of a woman to use the women's bathroom in peace conflicts with the pretend right of a sexually confused man to go into the women's bathroom. Those both can't be rights. Both of those people don't have the right to define their own concept of existence. Actually, neither of them do. They both have an obligation to accept reality. Speaking of irresponsible speech from Amber Heard, there's really irresponsible speech coming out from Rand Paul's Democrat opponent in the Kentucky Senate race. This guy, he's a black guy, And he decided he was going to play the race card as hard as he possibly could in this ad. And he decided that he was going to insinuate that Rand Paul is a racist. It's the worst thing you can possibly be called in America today. And he was going to do the ad with a noose around his neck. The pain of our past persists to this day. Is that noose hanging? In Kentucky, like many states throughout the South, lynching was a tool of terror. It was used to kill hopes for freedom. It was used to kill my ancestors. Wow, look, he's got a now, noose on his neck. In a historic wow. victory for our commonwealth. Who put that there? I have become the first black oh, Kentuckian right. to receive the Democratic nomination for U.S. Senate. My opponent, the very person who compared expanded health care to slavery. The person who said he would have opposed Rand Paul, the Civil Rights Act. That guy's the basically in the KKK. That, can you believe Rand Paul put that noose around that guy's neck? Very news to him. I don't think Rand Paul knows he did that, but that's what do this guy is insinuating to me. Or do we let politicians like Rand Paul forever hold us back and drive back us with a noose? In November, we will choose healing. We will choose healing. In November, we're going to choose healing, and I'm going to do that by insinuating that my opponent is a terrorist who hates all black people and wants to kill us all. Because we're because we we like healing and inclusion and tolerance and diversity. I love this ad. This ad tells you everything you need to know about race relations in America today and about the left's very cynical campaign strategy. Who put the noose on that guy's neck? Was it the grand wizard of the KKK? No. Does the KKK even exist? I'm skeptical of that. Was it Rand Paul? No. That guy. 
that guy, that Senate candidate, put the noose around his own neck. And he had to do that because he knows that the, the easiest way for him to win, the best shot he's got at winning, is to pretend to be a victim. But he's not a victim. The easiest shot he has at winning is to pretend that America is hunting down black people willy-nilly, and, but that's not happening. And so he's got to pretend. He's got to do it himself. One time I was at an event at Loyola Marymount. I was giving a speech with Drew, and we were both on stage talking about whatever. I mean, this was not, this was not the most controversial speech we've ever given. And it was during BLM, the early days of BLM, and in comes a group of black students dressed all in black with tape on their mouths. Black tape, like they're censored, like they're being silenced. They can't speak. So I, I looked at this group of very odd, odd looking people and I said, hey guys, I don't know exactly what's going on here, but uh, if you feel like you're being silenced, here, here's the microphone, come speak. Anyone who's got the tape on his mouth, come up here and you can say whatever you want to say. I don't think you have very much to say. Not sure there's a whole lot going on up there between the ears, but if you have some pressing point that you feel is being censored, come on up and say it. None of them did it <laughs> because I didn't put the tape on their mouths and Drew didn't put the tape on their mouths and you didn't put the tape on and Rand Paul didn't put the tape on their mouths. They put the tape on their own mouths. They had to do that because they feel that they can make their point, gain a social advantage by pretending to be the victims of some awful oppression and no one is there to oppress them, which is very inconvenient for them. And so they've got to oppress themselves. Look at this noose around my neck. You put the noose on your neck. Same thing with what's his face in Chicago, Jesse Smollett. Jesse Smollett, he was so eager. He said, please let there be a Ku Klux Klan member here in this downtown Chicago, you know, MAGA country, downtown Chicago. Why won't anyone attack me? All right, I'll put the noose on my own neck and I'll hold my Subway sandwich. There, this is, there is so much deep meaning <laughs> to this, uh, this Kentucky Senate ad, and it's the opposite of, of what this guy is suggesting. Also worth pointing out, by the way, now that we're all playing the victim, the Italians were the victims of the largest mass lynching in American history, okay? Where's my sympathy? Where are my pity votes? All right, we don't hear about it. It was, it was 1891, Louisiana. 11 Southern Italians were lynched. You don't hear about that. You don't read about that. Of course, lynching hasn't been a problem in America at all for, what, 70 years? I think there was one lynching in the 70s or 80s. That was it. I'm not saying that's good, but crimes happen, folks. I mean, how, how many, you know, just over Memorial Day weekend, over 40 people were shot in Chicago and 10 of them were killed. Okay, there are violent crimes in America. You're telling me one lynching in the last 60 years or thereabouts, and then lynching was only really a, a a major problem in America through what, the 40s, I think? The, about the 1880s to the 1940s. But we've got to pull that back. We haven't had enough problems in the last 60 years. We've got to pull it back if I am to get elected. We need to contrive victimhood. This is what happened yesterday with Disney. I do not follow Disney very closely. I do not follow Star Wars. I liked the Star Wars movies when I was a kid. I liked Star Wars 1, the real one, you know, the first movie, uh, New Hope. I liked Number two, I like number three. And I even, frankly, I even kind of like Jar Jar Binks in the prequels. I did, all right? I, look, I was a child. What did I know? But I haven't really followed it since then. They've added lots of new characters. Apparently, Disney is going to add a new character played by Moses Ingram. And Moses Ingram is a black woman. 
and she is upset because apparently when they announced her character, she got some mean tweets. So her colleague, who plays Obi-Wan Kenobi, Ewan McGregor, just came out and castigated the Star Wars audience, the fans, the people who pay his bills, castigated the Disney subscribers as racists. This weekend, Star Wars fans made uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi the most watched Disney Plus original series premiere of all time. And for that, I would say a big thank you. And uh, it just goes to show what this family can do when we all pull together. However, um, it seems that some of the fan base from this influential fan base have decided to attack Moses Ingram online and send her the most horrendous racist DMs. And I heard some of them this morning and it just broke my heart. Moses is a brilliant actor. She's a brilliant woman. And she's absolutely amazing in this series. She brings so much to the series. She brings so much to the franchise. And it just sickened me to my stomach to hear that this had been happening. I just want to say as the leading actor in the series, as the executive producer in the series, that we stand with Moses. We love Moses. And if you're sending her bullying messages, you're no Star Wars fan in my mind. There's no place for racism in this world. And uh, I totally stand with Moses. This is the new current thing. The new current thing just dropped. It's stand with Moses. I kind of like that idea. You know, if we're ta- talking about like the OG Moses, I like that idea. Stand with the Bible. That'd be, that'd be quite a message for Pride Month. Stand with Moses, referring to this actress, is, is the thing. No longer are we talking. Monkeypox, that's gone. That only lasted a few days. Uh, the Ukraine war, that's totally out of the news. That current thing is now a past thing. That's all COVID. That's over. Now it's stand with Moses. Change your profile pictures, folks. Get it up there on your Twitter banners. We stand with Moses. For what? What happened? What exactly happened here? This woman got a very high-paying, prominent, sought-after job in Hollywood in a beloved franchise, but she got some mean tweets, I guess. And so now we need to stand with Moses. Uh, This is what this actress said about it. She said, the thing that bothers me is this feeling inside of myself that no one has told me. But this feeling that I have to shut up and take it, that I have to grin and bear it. And I'm not built like that. So I wanted to come on and say thank you to the people who show up for me in the comments and the places that I'm not going to put myself. And to the rest of y'all, y'all weird. She says, it's awful. This idea, this awful idea that I have to shut up and take it, that I have to grin and bear it. Moses, I don't know you. You have to grin and bear it. You have to, if it, not just if you're getting mean tweets. If you're getting mean tweets, I mean, good. I could tweet out good morning and let me read to you the replies that that get. Let me read to you the DMs that come from that, from the left, okay? If any person, I'm not complaining about it, every person who is in any way in public life and a lot of people who are in private life on social media get extremely mean tweets and extremely mean comments. You have to toughen up if you want to be in public life. You don't need to be in public life. You can go just get married and raise a family and tend home. You can do that if you want. I'm I'm sure a guy would be happy to do that with you. You have chosen to be in public life. Being in public life entails criticism. Being in public life entails mean, unjust, vicious attacks. That's just what happens. you, You... Ah, it, it ties in even with this, this point about the military early on. 
The military used to be Georgie Patton there saying, listen here, I've had enough of this bilious BS about doing your own thing, individuality. We're going to go there like S-H-I-T through a tin horn. We're going to rip our enemy up the belly and wipe the blood and guts of our friends off our face without shedding a tear. Darn it. You know, that, that used to be the way that we spoke. And not just in the third army, not just in the military threat, all of society it used to be, oh, you... You got to, you scraped your knee, rub a little dirt on it and move on. Oh, someone called you a mean name? Well, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. Toughen up. Good grief. Fortitude is a virtue. Fortitude is a, is a very important virtue because if you don't have fortitude, you're not going to be able to defend any of the other virtues. You're, you are in, this actress is in one of the most privileged positions in the entire world. People would kill to have this job that she does. And she says, well, someone on Twitter said something mean to me. By the way, they're making it about race because racism is the worst thing. Racist is the worst thing you can be called today. I strongly suspect that people who are, who may or may not be attacking her for her race aren't even doing that because they don't like black people. I've made this point before, and Drew Clavin has made this point a lot too. When when you attack somebody and you call someone a racial slur or a sexual slur or any other kind, you, or you attack their family and you, you say, your mom is so fat or whatever, very often, most, most of the time, I think, you are not doing so because you don't like people of their race or you don't like people of their sex or sexual desire or you don't like their mother <laughs> or you think their mother's fat. You're doing it because you don't like the person that you're insulting or you don't like the thing that the person represents or what the action that the person has undertaken. And so you're, you're attacking their characteristics just because it's convenient, just because that's the thing you see. I made the point on the show the other day. If our giant Polish AD, the assistant director on the show, Pavel, for whatever reason is, is you know, really just gets my blood up one day, I, I might say, Pavel, you dirty, rotten, filthy, giant Polak. Am I, would I be, well, I wouldn't say that because I would be ground to dust in a moment. But if I did that, would it, would I be saying that because I don't like Polish people? No, I like Polish people very much. I would just be saying it because I, I would in that case, theoretically be angry at Pavel. And that's the first thing that comes to mind. But now, now we all have to claim victimhood because that carries a currency. And if you can accuse your opponents of racism, that's the greatest win of all, because that, that will basically anathematize your opponent. That will, that will ostracize them. And, and these days it could deplatform them. It could kick them out of the public square. It could, it could remove them from the political community. The future, not looking, not looking very bright. I always have hope because hope is a theological virtue, but I, my priest friend, Father George Rutler, made the point that the difference between a Scottish optimist and a Scottish pessimist is that a Scottish pessimist says things can't get any worse, and a Scottish optimist says, oh, yes, they can. And I'm sort of in the latter category there. So I have hope, but things are looking like they're going to get a lot worse. I saw this from Ikea, of all places, the cheap Swedish furniture company. So when you go and buy Ikea furniture, one thing you can do is go to their cafeteria, which I always used to like to do in college or if I was buying furniture in New York as a bachelor. I'd go and you could get Swedish meatballs. You could get all sorts of nice, cheap food for lunch. So they've got a kitchen where they're developing new food. Some of the new food they're developing, Ikea joining the rest of the liberal institutions, they're trying to make us eat bugs. It's served with hydroponically grown leaves and salt and vinegar sprinkled insects. Each element is designed to be sustainable, but also tasty. So what did it actually taste like? 
So I think this is probably the most sci-fi thing that I've ever eaten. They don't taste of that much themselves. They're kind of slightly nutty. The salt and vinegar is really nice. A nice snack on the side. Nice little snack on the side to just eat the little worms that they're putting in my taco. Yeah, it's really nice. I really like it. And you look at his face, and he's obviously disgusted by this. But for whatever reason, he's going to pretend, oh, no, this is really good. Yeah, yeah. it's sort of like, if you've ever gone to a tasting menu, I've had the misfortune of going to tasting menus on occasion. And there are these very fancy things that millennials do in cities where you go, and it's not that the food is ever particularly good, it's just expensive and weird. And you sit down at a tasting menu and they say, all right, for our first dish. We'll have, one time I was at a tasting menu and they served essentially tofu dippin' dots. And one time they served me a big heaping plate of raw veal, raw veal in mayonnaise. And then after that, a little sliver of extremely pungent smoked haddock. And you're, <laughs> you're sitting there. And I went to this restaurant because my friend asked if I would go. And I said, okay, that's fine. And, and everyone around the table has to pretend that it's good. You say, oh yeah, nothing, nothing I like after gobbling down a nice bowl of raw veal. Nothing I like more than extremely pungent smoked fish. Ooh, but hold on, save room for the tofu dippin' dots after. No, it's just... But people all pretend because this is very sophisticated and cool and, and futuristic. And nowhere is this truer than on the freaking bugs. For whatever reason, every liberal institution wants us to eat bugs. The World Economic Forum said, oh, it's in the future. In the future, we're going to eat bugs. Oh, it's a great source of protein. Okay, if it's such a great source of protein, you eat it. I'm going to eat steak and hamburgers and chicken. And you can eat bugs. No, no, you have to eat bugs because you're the filthy, dirty masses, the, the poor people. You, have, you do that, we're going to continue to eat our filet mignon. Now, th- th- this is futuristic. That's probably true. It's so d- extremely dystopian that we're all going to be just locked in our rooms, plugged into the neural link or you know, pl- with our brain stems in the matrix, just eating bugs all the time. That is so extremely dystopian that it probably is the future. That probably will come true. When that guy in the video says, this is the most sci-fi thing I ever ate. Right. When you think of sci-fi movies, the really the really influential sci-fi stories, books, they tend not to be utopian. <laughs> they tend to be pretty dystopian, actually. And that, so it is very sci-fi. Yes, gobbling up bug tacos is definitely very dystopian. Speaking of our dystopian future, you know I hate to say I told you so. You know I hate to take that that Nolstradamus hat and my crystal ball out and predict the future because it's distressing when I predict something unpleasant in the future. But I told you months ago when the libs started to pull their foot off the pedal on COVID, I said, don't believe it. They're going to bring COVID back. They're going to bring all the COVID measures back. They're not actually getting rid of the power grab that they took over the last two years. They're trying to keep the the national emergency authorization. They're trying to keep a lot of the public health orders. They're trying to keep a lot of the vaccine mandates. Well, now Joe Biden is trying to bring back that stupid mask mandate on the airplanes. Probably the least logical, the least reasonable of all the COVID measures The airplanes were never a major source of COVID transmission. If you put the mask on and you're sitting arm to arm, shoulder to shoulder, and then you pull the mask down to eat and drink, it's just preposterous that that's going to stop you from getting COVID. These flimsy little disgusting masks. It was always a joke. He's trying to bring it back because the libs will need COVID. It was hurting them in the polls, so they backed off COVID a little bit. They backed off Fauci a little bit. They put him in an underground bunker, but they're all coming back, okay? They're all coming back the moment that it is politically convenient for the libs. 
This is because Biden has nothing to run on right now. The Washington Post just reported this. Joe Biden is finally, at least privately, admitting that inflation is really bad. It's really hurting Americans, really hurting Democrats' chances. But he's not taking any responsibility. He's blaming his aides and his assistants. According to the WAPO, Biden has privately grumbled to top White House officials over the administration's handling of inflation, expressing frustration over the past several months that aides were not doing enough to confront the problem directly. People are knocking Biden for not taking responsibility here. You know, the, the buck stops with my aide. But I, I think he's actually got a fair point because Joe Biden is obviously not running the country. Joe Biden is obviously not particularly lucid a lot of the time. The aides are running the country. The personnel, the assistants, the bureaucracy, that's running the country. Half the time, Joe Biden doesn't know what end is up. And so you could blame Joe Biden for being a feckless, empty suit figurehead. But he's not the one actively making this call, these calls. I don't think anyone believes that. It's the aides. It's the geniuses. It's the PhDs. It's all the fancy people from all the elite institutions pushing really, really, really radical ideas, cramming them down the throats of the rest of us, infecting every single institution in this country, up to and including the leadership of the U.S. military. And they're so convinced that their vision of the future is wonderful, and we, they've just got to get over the, the awful hump of the people pushing back on them. Well, every time they grab more power, every time they advance their agenda a little, a little further, we end up in, in a country that is less recognizable, less good, less pleasant, and frankly, dystopian. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producer, Mathis Glover. Production manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Associate producer, Justine Turley. Audio mixer, Mike Coromina. And hair and makeup by Cherokee Hart. Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. Hey there, this is John Bickley, Daily Wire Editor-in-Chief and co-host of Morning Wire. On today's episode, the jury sides with Johnny Depp, Canada imposes new gun bans, and the Supreme Court blocks a law against viewpoint discrimination by platforms. Join us and get the facts first on the news you need to know with our show, Morning Wire. Morning Wire.